1: From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't
2: know the answer, you just make it up.
0: My rut is that I am in a rut. To get the pilot of Red Arrow going.
2: There's really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there are
0: entertainers. <laughs> <Hey>, that's <laughs> the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutley here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Lee and Tiffany Lukoski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Gurry Outdoors.
2: Hey, this is Craig of trained Assassins TV, you're listening to Dave and JP on Pro
0: Talk Outdoors,
1: the craziest two I know.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Pro Talk Outdoors, Dave and JP hanging out, recording another episode and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit of science today, how'd you do in science in school?
2: I don't want to talk about it.
0: Yeah, that bad?
2: Well, it's over, I don't have to do it anymore again, I've... You know, I I passed, I made it through, and that's good enough.
0: Okay, well, fair enough. I I think it's interesting, especially the biology part of it and just being an outdoorsman and and growing into all of that, as I've done over the last several years, it's gotten more and more interesting. You know, I remember as a kid reading everything about a largemouth bass and a smallmouth bass I possibly could. I'll say this,
2: you know, when it comes to, you know, if you're talking deer, turkeys, fish, you know, any kind of game species, I'm all about the science of it. I want to learn as much as I can. But if you're talking about, uh, you know, neurons and protons and nucleuses, and I don't even know what all are. What about they prions? Are. Prion- prions are interesting.
0: Okay. O- only
2: because I know we're going to talk about prions in this podcast somewhat when we talk about CWD. So I'm interested in prions.
0: I think that's the perfect time to go ahead and transition. We don't need to make it a, a windy opening when there's this much science to be had and, and this much knowledge to be shared. Obviously, neither one of us have a doctorate in anything short of stupidity. So uh, a little we're, <laughs> we're going to defer to a guy in Dr. Clifford Chipley who has an absolute long list of experience and qualifications to talk about biology, not only in the whitetail herd, but other species as well. So uh, we're going to go ahead and toss it to him, man. Stick around. You're going to listen to some good stuff. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Pro Talk Outdoors. JP and Dave here. And, And, man, we're pleasured to be joined here by Dr. Shipley. And Dr., Explain to everybody just how much experience you really have because it's pretty impeccable, the long list and and impressive resume you have in uh, biology and the outdoors.
1: Well, let's see. Your bullshit meter is going to (laughs) go off here. I've I've, uh, been practicing veterinary medicine for uh, 38 years. I got a degree in animal science, I have uh, practiced, I've owned my own practice, I have taught at the uh, two different universities, I've consulted, uh, hell, I can't hold a job, um, <laughs> um, and, and I've raised deer for 18 years now, deer and elk, um, and I've worked on deer and elk all over the country, and and. Uh, consulted, done most things that uh, uh, people wish they hadn't
0: done. So, <laughs> I, so I, I've got a little experience. I've killed a few. Well, you know, I, I want to touch on one of the things you mentioned there, the fact that you've raised... White-tailed deer and elk, and I I know folks tend to separate the two into just two distinctly completely different things, and I want to ask you more about the similarities that you can find between the two species and what you can learn by raising both side by side.
1: Well, I I tell you, I'll I'll give you a little background and then kind of highlight maybe a little better explained. I I started out raising elk. I'm I finally got my wife to agree to move out of the damn city. And we bought an acreage uh, here in Illinois where I could make it easy back and forth to work. And I had been working on quite a few elk uh, in the 90s because uh, they were very hot, popular, high-dollar items. Um, and I was doing quite a bit of elk work and worked for the one of the local... Um, private parks that had a, had a nice elk herd and I got the opportunity to buy some and, and put out on our acreage and um, I was doing a lot of deer work as well, mostly wh- almost all whitetail but I've I've killed almost all the species at one time or that are working on them, um, whitetail mule deer, I've got mule deer as well, um, axis fallow, etc. But anyway uh, I started with the deer and and uh, um, deer whitetails are not elk and whitetails are not mule deer and mule deer aren't elk they're all three different species and they all have uh, characteristics uh, behavior especially uh, that are that are quite a bit different they get tend to get mostly the same diseases but um, for instance there's a a huge difference I, I believe and most of the books would agree, is whitetails are much more susceptible to disease like EHD than our elk, which can get it, but rarely do, and mule deer, which can get it, but rarely do, or rarely die from it, whereas it's, it's a death sentence for whitetails. So there's distinct differences. There's a little nutritional difference between elk and, and whitetails. Elk are a little bit more grazers. Um, and you can do them about like you can cattle, uh, whitetails, uh, not so much. They're more browsers uh, specifically. Uh, and, and mule deer love to graze or browse more, but I have successfully, or at least I think I've successfully been raising them very similar to what I do white my whitetails um, here for the last uh, 12, 8, 16 years, I think on mule deer, so.
2: Well, let me ask you this question, because you you just mentioned that whitetails are probably more susceptible to, uh, uh, like, CWD, uh, or maybe you said EHD, I'm sorry, EHD, than the uh, mule deer or the elk, or maybe the way that it impacts those animals. Mm -hmm. Do you think, does that have something to do with the body size, you know, the fact that whitetails are smaller than mule deer or elk? Is that maybe why they're more susceptible to... uh, you know, dying from EHD?
1: Well, that's a that's a great question. I haven't figured out that all after all these years. I, I every time I think I've got EHD figured out according to body size or sex, I hear somebody else's story or run across another situation. You know, I've had got people that uh, primarily lose their their bucks, uh, or primarily lose their does, or primarily lose their fawns. I think truthfully I think it has to do more with where the animals are at in proximity to the midges that bite them. Um, Now my only exception to that would be bucks uh, that are in velvet and their velvet is a nice easy target I think for the midges to bite so there may be a relationship there. Um, I'm not sure there's a big enough difference in body size between mule deer and whitetail to make that claim, and, of course, elk are, elk are three times or more bigger than whitetails, and they get sick, but they rarely die. I mean, I have uh, only seen a few cases of, of elk with uh, with EHD, and I've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of whitetails with EHD, and it, it just is not very pretty when it hits them.
0: Well, before we get too far into this, I I want to ask you a question that I'm sure listeners are curious of, and, and if they're really avid into whitetail biology, they probably know the difference. But just for the average guy such as myself, what is the difference between CWD and EHD?
2: Yeah, that's that's probably something we should distinguish because some listeners aren't going to know what we're talking about and the difference there. Sure, sure.
0: Um,
1: b- bad names both. Um, I'll start. I'll start with EHD. Um, EHD stands for epizootic hemorrhagic disease. It's caused by a virus. If you t- talk to folks from down south, most of them don't refer to it as EHD. They refer to it as blue tongue. Well, blue tongue's also a virus and in the same family as the EHD virus. And so they both cause, both of the viruses cause um arteritis or, or affect the blood vessels and basically the animal bleeds out more correctly in deer we should refer to it as hemorrhagic disease or HD um than we should blue tongue or EHD either one uh because the symptoms are exactly the same in in deer and so and you don't know which virus they've got until you get it isolated so we should say HD or hemorrhagic disease, but instead of EHD or blue but uh, it's been in the vernacular too long for anybody to really change, and so we just use those three interchangeably. But uh, that's caused by a virus. CWD is a completely different ball game. Um, CWD is a uh, degenerative neurological disease. Uh, we believe caused by a prion or a prion, depending on who you talk to. Uh, and there's some recent controversy about another theory of disease. But um, I'll try to stay out of that that uh, wicket because
2: um, I'm probably going to offend somebody. But um, That kind of breaks so my heart a little bit there, Doc, because I, I was really <laughs> wanting to ask you about that. Well, you
1: you can. Uh, give me a minute, and I'll try to explain CWD. Okay. CWD has been around since the late 60s, six, 1967. It was probably um, made in, in some captive deer and captive elk in a wildlife research facility in Fort Collins, Colorado. And by made, the speculation is they took... Uh, Uh, brain samples from scrapie-infected sheep inadvertently injected them into the the deer uh, doing research and and inadvertently infected the deer. Then they subsequently sold some of them to private individuals in zoos and spread it and turned other animals loose back into the wild where they spread it. So uh, CWD is a um, Falls in the same category as other neurological diseases in other species, mad cow disease, another bad bad name, but uh, in cattle, uh, Crutchfield Jacob's disease in people, and there are four or five different forms of, of uh, people uh, uh, getting prion diseases, Crutchfield Jacob variant, Crutchfield Jacob, uh, kuru. And I think a couple more. Um and then it gets into other animals. Squirrels get squirrels get a form of uh prion disease and ostriches and uh emus get a different form and felines get a different form. So it it is uh seen in various species and it causes a a fatal neurological uh degenerative disease in these animals uh If they don't die of CWD themselves, they typically will die of um, uh, being eaten by predators because they're slow and can't get around. Uh, They die from pneumonia because they can't swallow very well, a bunch of other similar things to to that. So uh, it got the the, the name chronic wasting disease because the animals just tend to get waste away and and then die, if they don't die from something else before.
0: Now, recently, it made a lot of headlines. Somebody who probably thought they knew a lot more than they did jumped in and put a bunch of articles out about CWD potentially uh, being a zombie disease that could be passed along to humans. What's your take on that?
1: Well, somebody wept themselves over that. Um, I think they stuck both feet in their mouth. Without thinking, Um, and I know who it was, and I won't mention a name or what state it came from. But actually, there's two things that were kind of coincided to to make it the worst at this at the same time. There was a person that testified about people getting um, CWD uh, and and related it to zombies. Which zombies caught on real fast that it's uh um, sounds good and, and makes the deer seem like they're they're zombies and and they're they're not um, uh, and and so the other story that went along basically at the same time here within the last month was a person that uh, uh, has been doing research for a long long time uh Claim that there's another disease or another entity other than prions causing uh, CWD and they were gonna develop or had uh, the capability of a a test, a uh, vaccine, a treatment for it. Um, And so we got bombarded in the press by zombie deer disease and being caused by a different entity or organism Um, And and so, and and quite frankly, uh, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, the U.S. government, um, you know, tells you you shouldn't eat diseased animals, you should be careful when you're cleaning them, and you should probably discard the spine and brain and lymph nodes, and that's probably good advice. Uh, But to date, and they've tried, they've been trying for years and years and years, uh, there's there's been no cases related back to consuming deer that have had CWD. Um, they've tried some experiments getting cross species uh, infections, and they've been very uh, uh, they've been unable uh, really to uh, get it to cross species barriers in a natural form, uh, and uh, so right now uh, with the current information that's been published uh, is that um, it still doesn't cross species barriers. I would tell everybody that's listening, don't eat a diseased deer. It could be um, lepto. It could be TB if you're in Michigan. Uh, You you shouldn't eat something that that ain't right. But but right now, uh, I just tell folks to... uh, bone out their meat. They need to anyway, especially if you're traveling from a CWD area. uh, You don't want to be the cause of spreading it. I believe, I'm sorry to say this, I believe hunters have probably spread it as much or more than anybody simply by hauling carcasses around, um, is that we just need to uh, be aware of that and and use common sense. You know,
2: You mentioned earlier that you know uh, a lot of the deer that maybe come down with uh, CWD, you know maybe they get uh, eaten by a predator or something, or you know there's there's different ways that those deer's that those deer may meet. <laughs> I said deer's, didn't I? You did. <laughs> there's different ways that those deer may meet their uh, their uh, end there. Yep. If if that was a disease that would cross species lines, it would only make sense that. You'd have coyotes walking around with CWD. You'd have birds of prey walking around with CWD. I mean, it would spread like wildfire, and, and I don't think that's the case, is it? That's not the case. And um, what happens with
1: predators and deer and deer carcasses, et cetera, um, the animals don't get it, but they, they serve as a vehicle to transfer it. And I'll use a coyote or a crow as an example let's say a coyote or a crow is, pra- is eating on a deer carcass that has been, that died from CWD, and whether that was a natural, uh, a quote-unquote quote, natural death where they just died, they got hit by a car, they got shot, or they got killed by coyotes or a mountain lion or whatever, whatever part of the country you're at. Uh, but those animals feasting on the carcass can... Um, uh, have what we call pass through. In other words, they eat the carcass, pick up the CWD prion, and then crap it out a mile away, two miles away, or in a, um, pin or other place where there are other deer uh, or at a feeding site or just out in the wild being what they are. Um, and, and so, uh that is one way we, we know, uh, there have been several, a number of cases reported of what we call pass-through and experiments done to prove that uh, uh, the prion can survive going through the gut and being basically crapped out somewhere. So um, you know, that, that's, that's a very real thing that happens and has probably contributed some to the spread.
0: So all of that brings me to this question. What is it that hunters, conservationists, or environmentalists can do to limit or inhibit CWD? Or is there anything that somebody can do to, to do their part?
1: Well, God, I wish you hadn't asked me that question because I'm liable to tell you the truth. I'd like I to hear the it. Tr- I, can, I can handle well, the truth. The, the tr- you can't handle the truth. The truth is really <laughs> short. And sweet, to the point where there's not a damn thing we can do about it. Um, it's it's in the environment, and it it's impossible to clean up. People might tell you otherwise, but they're wrong. Uh, from experiments and things, and you can't. The tent, you have to incinerate it over 1,100 degrees to kill it. Uh, and there are really no disinfectants that work well. Uh, nobody's going to scrape off the top six inches of their soil on their thousand-acre property and put it in a landfill. Um, you can't treat uh, whole states with humic acid. You can't. Uh, uh, there, there's so many things we can't do. Uh, so once it's in the environment, in the wild, there's virtually nothing that we can do realistically. Now there are people that claim otherwise. And we've spent in the U.S. estimates are over a hundred million dollars or more spent on limiting uh, or eliminating or eradicating CWD. And to my knowledge, uh, the last thing I read, which was this morning, uh, CWD continues to spread across the U.S. Uh, numbers of animals are uh, we're doing more testing. We're finding more CWD. Uh, it's being found worldwide. Um, Norway, um, Finland um, have uh, just recently, within the last year or two, had it diagnosed. Uh, so, in in reality, I don't. I, there's nothing we can really do that's reasonable, in my opinion. Um, that, that we can do this reasonable. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to develop uh, some uh, vaccines that may work. I, I've talked to the folks at Saskatoon, uh, University of Saskatoon or Sask- and in Saskatchewan, and there are two groups up there that are working on both of them, really working on very promising vaccines for the Prion. Uh, if they could get funding, they, they might be successful. Uh, We've got people working on live tests, uh, animal-side tests. Those would work for hunters that want to know if their animal has CWD when they shoot it. Uh, They can conduct a test right then and there. Uh, And, of course, for deer farmers, it would be a godsend that they could test animals uh, uh, and prove that, one, their animals are free, or two, prior to shipping or movement. So there, there, I'm, I'm hopeful. There's some things that have come come along, but to tell you that 20 years or 10 years from now, we're not going to have CWD on the landscape anymore, would be um, I'd be lying, and my mom told me not to lie. <laughs> well, the, I, the, the, yeah.
2: I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was just thinking. You know, you mentioned a vaccination. How in the? I mean, because I'm just I'm simple minded, and I'm thinking. How in the world can you I, I can see it being done in a captive deer herd but how in the world could you have any kind of vaccination on a wild deer herd? Oh,
1: mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a good a really good question and and the answer to that as I understand it from from the researchers up there is they they have a a, a feed through vaccine. So, so, through supplemental feeding. Okay. Or dispersal in in supplemental feeding sites, mineral licks, um, you know, feeding the elk out hay out at uh, Jackson Hole. Uh, There's ways that that it can be done. And the thing about vaccines, and we we vaccinate wild animals right now. We we, we vaccinate for rabies in many of the eastern states through baits. Um, So uh, we just get the animal to eat the... um, Attenuated virus and and they're they're vaccinated, so uh, we've got the technology available and and um, so m- maybe uh, you know and once again, you're probably never going to get everything vaccinated, but you don't have to get everything vaccinated. you just have to get a reasonable number of the animals in the population vaccinated to protect the herd. Uh, the other thing that I think is going to happen with CWD and this is through both nat- natural selection probably, is that for the last few years, uh, a number of researchers have keyed in on genetic resistance uh, to CWD. And so we've we've probably got animals that are genetically resistant to CWD or uh, have we- delayed signs of CWD. In other words, going from a uh, a short infection period of uh, the infection period for CWD usually ranges from 18 to 36 months give or take a month um, to it may delay uh, signs for years uh, in other words maybe eight ten years well most of our deer are dead at one and a half years in the wild anyway uh, so the, you know by genetic selection we may have a whole population of animals that uh, won't get the disease or have delayed signs. We've done that in sheep. We've selected for resistance to scrapie in sheep and eventually and are very close to eradicating scrapie. Uh, so maybe maybe genetic selection for C, against CWD uh, infection and we'll have, uh, then maybe that'll be the way we get rid of CWD. We won't have any animals that are susceptible.
2: Well, I think one one thing we can probably all, at least the outdoor community, can all agree on is hiring sharpshooters is absolutely not the way to attack CWD. And why is it that so many game and fish departments are going that route? Any ideas there? Well,
1: yeah, I've got I've got several
2: ideas. <laughs>
1: probably probably none of them publishable um there there is they d- one one reason they do some of that is is for testing uh it is the typical state would will find a cwd positive in a certain area and then for uh, sample evaluations sample incidents or prevalence of the disease in that particular area they may go in and sharpshoot a, a, a number of animals to give them an idea of better of what the prevalence is there. Um, so in other words, one animal was killed during hunting season so they go out and kill a hundred or fifty or thirty deer or whatever in that specific area to find out exactly was that the only one or are there more in that area. Um, so that, that's one of the reasons they do it. Um, Second reason some of them do it, there there are some people that believe that by lowering the deer numbers in an area, we lower, of course, the number of deer that get it. Well, that's just simple, Uh, but we've shot those deer, and they weren't going to probably ever show signs, in in my opinion, they weren't going to ever show signs in in their lifetime. They were probably going to be harvested either through hunting or by predators or get hit by a Buick uh, before they ever showed any clinical signs because the disease takes so long to develop so uh, and I think this is just reactionary on some of our DNR's parts that it shows that they're doing something um, and whether it's right or wrong uh, I'm, I'm in the of the opinion that it's Probably the wrong approach, uh, but uh, uh,
0: nobody from the DNR has ever called me to ask.
2: Point well taken, right there.
0: Well, let's let's turn a little bit here. Obviously, we've talked a good bit about disease and and where it sits in the wild right now.
2: I want to get to EHD also. If you're going to get off of that.
0: Well, we've spent a lot of time on EHD before.
2: No, 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 no. I I got some serious questions on EHD. Okay, we'll ask some serious questions. This is is some serious stuff here. We got to deal with. (laughs) So okay,
1: EHD kills a lot of deer.
2: Yeah, a whole lot. Yeah. So I mean, and and I know we talked a little bit earlier about the location. You know, you talked about maybe it's, uh, you know, some guys lose a lot of does off their properties because maybe that's just the midge is close to where the does are congregating at the time, or Bucks because of the getting in the velvet. I guess. What's your thought or opinion on if you could give any advice to somebody that's managing their property? What can they do to try to minimize the effect that a midge may may have on their property? Yeah,
1: for the for the people that are trying to manage wild deer, it gets really 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 tough uh, because of it, it is. Uh, uh, it's carried by a biting midge, commonly referred to as a noceum, see uh, that bites, that carries the virus. The The deer don't carry the virus except when they're sick, and they can get bit, bitten by a midge and then bite another deer, etc. But most of the time, the midge feeds on something that's viremic, and it's probably a cow. Uh, and then bites a deer, spreads the virus, and the animals animals die. Uh, So if you want to control EHD, there are multiple avenues to take to help control it. And some of them are out of our hands. In other words, if you live near a swamp or an area where there's uh, lots of uh, water or we've had uh, weather that's conducive to mud, mud holes, etc. That's where the midge lives and breeds in that mud. Uh, so you know you're kind of screwed. Um, uh, it, so having the deer away from those swampy areas—it's uh, really hard to do in a, in the wild, but. In drought times where the mud holes are drying or the water holes are drying up, we can provide water in places that are away from those mud holes that the deer can drink at that that maybe uh, help reduce the chance they're going to get bitten. Um, that would and having as healthy a deer as we possibly can, uh, and everybody's uh, the rage is food plots and supplemental feeding. And I believe those all help the deer's health. Uh, the healthier they are, the less likely they are to die from EHD. Um, so that's that that can help. Um, the the um, The deer farmers are on the verge of having a weapon uh, that's that we I hope is going to be very successful. Is they're going to have a vaccine. It's going to be I think, released next week for sale uh, at the North American Deer Farmers Association meeting, and so if we get a a, a vaccine that works very well, that's going to help a lot of the deer farmers. I, I don't know that uh, people are going to be very successful vaccinating wild deer, but certainly that's a possibility, and that vaccine's going to have to be darted currently. We don't have any other technology for getting it in. although. When you think about it, maybe uh, in the future that technology will be available that we can put it in feed and bait, et cetera, and get that into our wild deer herd because certainly EHD can wipe out a deer, wild deer population in a matter of weeks. Uh, we've seen it happen uh, all across the nation in various spots where it's affected wild deer populations severely. Um, So, so those are the things that you can do. I know in Texas and other places where they've had uh, they've used insecticide applicators. Um, The uh, A.R.S. Agricultural Research Service uh, has used uh, some uh, insect applicators in some instances to apply chemicals to deer that'll keep off bugs and ticks. So that's another application, maybe that. Uh, we could think about working, um, but EHD's is a tough one. It's because it's mostly environmental,
2: and there's no way that there's any w- there's no way to forecast where this is going to pop up at any given year. I mean, it's a lot well, of it's drought-driven and
1: it, yeah, drought and weather-driven. But uh, it tends to cycle on, on in some areas on a, on a fairly regular basis, like every two years or every three or six, uh, but Uh, The thing you have to remember about EHD is there are several strains. There's a type 1, a type 2, and a type 6. There's no cross-protection between the different types, and those different types can pop up at different years. And and unfortunately, I have to tell you that uh, there's probably going to be more types in the next years than there will be fewer types um so it, it's very worrisome because this it's a bad bad disease um so doing things like keeping your gear healthy trying to dry up wet spots etc if you can control those proper pond construction uh, we need steeper sides on ponds uh, so there's less mud uh, that's one of the precautions some people have taken is uh, so there, there are some things you can do um, whether they're successful or not is tough because I, I work with mostly uh, of course I hunt wild deer but uh, I work with a lot of deer farmers and there are guys that I've been working with for years that still uh, get hammered uh, every year or every other year uh, with uh, uh, EHD. Uh, and there are some areas of the country I think Florida Louisiana, Southern Texas, where they have it
0: year-round, it's bad. Now, on the, along the line of supplemental feeding and mineral and things, a, a lot of folks have really gotten into creating a uh, a watering hole for deer. That's just a kiddie pool or, or something they've dug. Yep. That's that's small and shallow. Do you think yep. those can be a bit dangerous if they're not done correctly?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, matter of fact, I would suggest. Um, and of course it's difficult, um, you'd probably be better watering out of a trough uh, where there's no uh, uh, mud. Uh, those, those, and I've seen them, they're very, very popular, um, but the, those in a place where there's EHD um, can't, could be a death trap for deer, because deer then go to that drying up water hole where there's lots of mud, where there are lots of midges, that's where they get bit, uh, and it just makes things worse. Um, uh, Dr. Kroll, I think I saw him on a program, and he was advocating, um, in, instead of something like that, he was advocating that you just put in you know, 50-gallon or 100-gallon water tanks, haul water let the deer drink out of those. There's no mud to go with those. And I think that's probably a a better idea uh, in the long run than uh, digging those holes and making mud.
0: Fair enough. Well, let's go ahead and and transition a little bit here before we close it out. I want to ask you, obviously you've had all these different captive animals and, uh, you know, in addition to disease and behavior, what other things can be learned by Studying that type of uh that type of thing and interacting and uh is there anything that you're looking to accomplish over the next several years as you manage and control these herds that you own as well
1: well i you know I'm a veterinarian so i, I pay primarily attention to their their health and well being reproduction that sort of thing um but I've learned a tremendous amount by having these animals um I've learned more about behavior, body language that, you know, I can watch deer and, you know, I tell from what they're flicking their tail or, you know, what they're looking at, et cetera. So it's really helped me hunting. Um, The other thing that, you know, people do or the raised deer and I do as well is the deer sense, uh, uh, urine everybody thinks of, but uh, when I go out deer hunting, I take a casual walk through the pen and, and try to step on deer poop and, and smell like a deer and rub on my bottle feds and et cetera. And, and it, it, it helps cover scent. Um, you know, uh, look at antler, I know more about antler growth and configuration from studying my deer or um, antler shedding. I am watched today as I had uh, one of my bucks uh, shed, in, shed his antlers. Um, you learn a lot just by just by watching and observation stuff that I could never uh, have accomplished in in a deer stand. Even though I you sit from uh, daylight to dark, studying animals is is has uh, really been uh, one of the great things and, and fun things to do.
2: Yeah, I've never heard anybody. This is crazy. I've been deer hunting over thirty years, and I've never actually even heard somebody suggest st- stepping in deer poop to to help cover scent. And it makes well, sense. Don't
1: tell anybody for God's sakes.
2: So yeah, we won't say a word about it to anybody. <laughs> Nobody's going to hear it. <laughs> I
0: got bad news, Dr. Shipley. This thing's getting published, and a lot of folks yeah, are going to listen to it. Uh, I just get a dollar for every time you step in a deer churn. <laughs>
2: <Okay. laughs> uh, it's a great marketing Revolutionary ideas here.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, shoot. Well, Dr. Shipley, it's been a blast, man. And uh, obviously, you got a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, if folks want to keep up with you and, and what you're into, is there a social media page they should go to or, or anything they yeah. should um, you do to, to, to follow you
2: no <laughs> no <laughs> he wants to be left alone <laughs> I don't I blame left you
1: alone. no I, I do a blog for real world live, wildlife once a uh, wildlife products once a month and that's probably all you're ever going to find me on social media because if my wife found out I was doing anything else other than that she'd
0: kill me and take my phone away probably not in that order
2: that's good stuff well I
0: can respect that Dr. Shipley it has been a pleasure Uh, hang around with us man we're going to toss it to a break you're listening to Pro Talk Outdoors hey hope you've enjoyed this Nerdy episode of Pro Talk Outdoors. And I don't, I tell you, I don't I think I
2: Dr. Shipley's going to appreciate the nerdy comment.
0: Well, hey, I, I don't care if he does or not. He's a candid man. I'll be candid. Some some folks may call this content a little nerdy, and, hey, I'm the first to admit that I'm a nerd.
2: It's next level. It's not nerdy at all.
0: You know, the, they have the first two letters in the word, In common, you know, next level and nerdy.
2: You lost me there. (laughs) Didn't do good. (laughs) It doesn't take much. I didn't learn much in spelling either.
0: (laughs) To me, it's just I think there's a lot can be gathered by listening to folks that have enough education in this kind of thing, instead of just going to your, you know, your local hangout to talk about a disease with guys that don't know any more than you do.
2: Well, and, and here's the thing, JP, and you know as well as I do, and it's been all over social media. There's a lot of misinformation out there. I mean, you know, you, you could talk to, and I had several people uh, either run into me on the street or send me Facebook messages. What do you think about this zombie disease? This new exactly. zombie disease that's yes. out. And, and I was like, What are you talking about, new zombie disease? And no, it's they were talking about CWD, and it's just misinformation in the media. Go figure, fake news. But everybody, it, it spreads word out there, and and a lot of people confuse EHD with CWD, and all all most people know is that there's diseases in deer and they don't like them. So I think we got a lot of great information out of Dr. Shipley on what we can do on our part, even though it's probably minimal, what we can do to help, you know, avoid the spread of those diseases.
0: You know, I think the unfortunate thing about this and that particular article that you're talking about, and I brought it up when we were talking to Dr. Shipley, is the folks that, that hunt or or get really into conservation, they're going to hopefully, two out of three of them at least, I'm going to hope, can get through that and, and see that that was BS and can inform their fellow man who may ask them that doesn't know much about it that, hey, don't necessarily believe that. There's a lot of baloney in there. But what I'm concerned about is the anti-hunting organization or the movement that's really against hunting and and anything in, involved with it to use that as a way to arm themselves Against the entire thing, yeah,
2: it's just another bullet they can use, uh, you know, against the hunting community. And uh, I, I think all we can do from our standpoint is put as much um, accurate, accurate information, information out there as possible. And
0: and that's what this episode was about.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow us on uh, Instagram, social, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, hop on Sportsman's Nation and and listen to this podcast. Or
2: and, and we'd be remiss if we didn't say. Absolutely, use your Maximizer with Expect Healthy Deer technology. Uh, that was the main point that uh, Dr. Shipley uh, brought up is, you know, from our standpoint in wild deer herds, get them as healthy as possible, and you can't do any better than feeding a Maximizer and, and uh, you know, having the healthiest deer possible by using that product. So um, I'll be using it. I know you will.
0: Oh, 100%. Until next time, hook em or hunt them. Pro Talk Outdoors. Later, guys. <laughs> you uh-huh.